Hi, this is Janet Lansbury. Welcome to Unruffled. Today I have an embarrassment of riches before me. I have Susan Stiffelman, marriage and family counselor, and Maggie Dent, parenting author and educator. We're all here together, actually live, in person, which is a gift in itself, and we're going to discuss some general guidelines that we can offer parents for all kinds of situations that your children of any age have. What to do when your child's behavior seems problematic and they're not flourishing as you would like. What to do when you're concerned. What are the steps that we can take? Where do we begin? So here we are. Yeah, what fun. This is going to be exciting. I'm excited. (laughs) You can tell who Maggie is because she's the one that sounds a bit different. (laughs) And yet I don't think I have an accent, but that's beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) So um, where do we begin? Let's say our child is having difficulty with friendships. Socially, they're struggling. What are some of the steps that we can take to address and understand the behavior? Well, I always like to look for the root. I always like to encourage parents not to get distracted by the manifestation of the behavior, but to rather see it as a message or some important information from the child on some level saying, all is not right in my world. Whether that's internal, something inside of me is unsettled or dysregulated, or whether it's in terms of the relationship that child has with you, the attachment, the connection or whether it's academic issues, you know, there's something that maybe he or she can't articulate, but that is making life difficult in a classroom setting or or schoolwork or with friendships. I'll begin with that. I'll break the ice here and then I'll, (laughs) I'll turn it to you, Maggie. But, you know, just the idea that when we get distracted by the appearance and we focus too much on that, we tend to lean toward do this, do this, let me script for you what you should do when your child is being rude to a friend or when they're not starting in on their homework. But so often there's a a wealth of riches there that we can tap into to address something deeper and really get to the heart of the problem. And oftentimes trying to fix that behavior exacerbates the behavior Yeah, because it's addressing a symptom rather than the cause. It's also telegraphing to our child that we are unaccepting, that we are pushing back on what they're doing, and we're not having that open, curious mind that we need to have. I think also it's that place that we often then in our minds go, now this is bad behavior, this is inappropriate behavior, this is wrong behavior, whereas in actual fact the behavior is exactly what you said, Susan. It's a message that I'm not coping in my world right now. So it's about us stepping back and going, something's not right in my child's world. And I often say you just need to turn into being a CSI detective to work out what is underneath that rather than try and fix the behavior with something. That can be helpful later, but not until you've got to the core of that. And of course, you know, I'm a boy champion. And so often we'll find boys are, you know, behaving in a way that is looking like it's bad and it's naughty because it's often physical. And yet underneath that will be a hurt boy who's feeling misunderstood or hasn't got a friend. And they haven't got the words to say that. Quite often that's our challenge, isn't it, as particularly as mamas, is how do I get to understand what that is when they aren't using any words to help me? And yet one of the worst and most tricky things you can say to a boy, particularly around four, eight and 14, is what's the matter with you? So let's give them some clues on how do we have that conversation that can help us go underneath what that is. I just want to insert, because I do work mostly with younger children, that 
sometimes our first step is actually containing the behavior, if it's physical behavior, yeah, or removing our child from the situation for their safety and the safety of yeah. others. Yeah. And while we're doing that, the safety of our perception of this as something that that's not a judgment yep. or a problem so that we can be that safe person that has a regulating effect instead of uh, charging things up worse and making our child feel our anger or containing that need. behavior as a safe presence. Yeah, yeah. they need yeah. grown-ups at times to help them do that because they are unable to yeah. do that. That doesn't mean it's a bad child. And that's a really powerful message again that sometimes I need to help them Seeing it as a call for help. Yeah. One of the things you, you both know that, you know, I've built my work on this idea of parents being the captain of the ship. And I use that analogy of a ship that's cruising the waters and everything's lovely and it's a sunny day and everyone's, you know, they're, they're doing the waltz at dinner. <laughs> but then you hear the alarm and things aren't going well. Maybe there's a leak or maybe there's rough waters or a storm. And that's where the passengers really look to the captain. Are you up for this? Are you sturdy enough to get us through this storm? And when a child is showing behavior that's difficult or or challenging, as you said, Janet, I love the idea that they may do even more of it if you try and talk Mm. them out of it, if you just try and address the symptom, because they're pretty committed to getting their message across. (laughs) And they may just get louder or more robust about that. But when we can show up in that space as that calm captain... Certainly, we don't like the behavior. We would rather things be lovely and sweet. But where we don't make it, oh my gosh, there's something wrong with my child, or oh, I'm a failure as a parent. You know, my neighbor doesn't have a child who does this. Well, your neighbor well may have one. (laughs) You just may not be seeing it. But a lot of what children are looking to us for is a sturdiness. And I love the phrase non-anxious presence, where we're big enough to contain whatever it is. And that right there could start to settle the behavior down and help us access maybe the pain or sadness that's underneath. They may not put it into words, but when we are steady and calm, there's a relaxation and a letting down of the guard. And then they can start to, we can start to get to what is at the root of that. I think that's absolutely fabulous. It reminds me of the parental pause that I kind of encourage parents Mm -hmm. to do is to take that breath first and bring ourself into it, that exact state that you're talking about. So I can be the captain of the ship. And, and and as I'm doing that, I'm going to be wanting to, again, look at this through the eyes of my child. So that does require us to pause a little. And and then I, I encourage parents to put their hand on their heart to remember, even though this child's being a little revolting right now, I, I love this child. And that reminds me that I have to come from the heart center, not just my head, which has lots of ideas. And that when I look down, I go, what are they needing right now from me? And they need a safe base. Let me be what my child needs right now. It's just that pausing again, because I'm finding, and I know you do as well, that today's parents are just drowning with too much information and incredible accessibility to all sorts of things online quickly, which cannot always be in alignment with their core values of their home and their what they've been taught and also what has happened to them in their journey. So I think the confusion adds to the stress in the moment that often makes them feel they have to stop it, to fix it, rather than see it as a teachable moment that underneath this, we've got an opportunity to look at what is triggering that behavior and how can we later, when we're all calm and centered, explore that for the child and see what it is that they are struggling with. Is there an unmet need? Is there a cluster of unmet needs? Are they hurting? 
Are they sad? So again, it, you're not a lousy parent. This is your teachable moment. This is where we step up with all our swagger and become that part of the solution. Yes, I've never really thought of it this way before, but you're making me see this almost as the way that you would handle a friend who suddenly seemed to be behaving in an unmanageable way. Would you be angry at that friend or would your heart go out? Poor them. They don't want to be doing this. Not to say that we should be friends with our child and that's our relationship. They need us to be the leader. They need us to be the captain of the ship. But being able to see all behavior that way so it's not threatening to us. And it's a part of normal development. They're not adults in little bodies. They're children with underdeveloped prefrontal cortex, which we know there are some grown-ups even with underdeveloped prefrontal cortexes today. So you're absolutely right. Interesting how... We speak sometimes very differently to our children than we thought we would before we had them. And I've often said, would you speak to your best friend like that? Like if they had a, you know, a bit of a boogie hanging out of their nose, what do you call it over here? Booger. Good, booger. Pretty similar. (laughs) You're not going to go, oh my gosh, here, and wipe it off. You're going to be pointing at it going, hey, babe. And your nose, here's a tissue. Yeah. We do it in a much more gentle way. And we'd even whisper it. We yes, wouldn't say it in front of other people. We wouldn't say it out loud. We would take them aside. Can you see And even it? if it was something that they were doing, maybe they're picking up that cigarette yeah. and they've asked us to help them stop. Yeah. And we're not going to say in front of everyone, what are you doing? Stop. How weak are you? <laughs> we're going to say, my love, yeah. come yeah. close. Yeah. Like, do you sure you want to do that? You know, yeah. or... It's a boundary thing, and I think a lot of this has to do with a recognition that our children are separate from us. It's very difficult to not take their behavior personally or to not use them in certain ways to present to the world this front that says, hey, you know, check me out. I'm the parent of that really well-behaved child over there. (laughs) And then the flip side of that is, oh my gosh, I can't tolerate that. If you're not showing up in the world or in the classroom or with your friend or at your friend's house or in the playroom, as a child that makes me look like I've got my act together, (laughs) we have a problem and I'm going to quickly, as fast as possible, throw caution to the wind and and not be discreet. And as you were saying, like not treat you like a friend with that kind of respect, because it's all about me. I mean, in many respects, a lot of our work as parents is to differentiate from our children. We talk about them differentiating from us, but I think the flip side of that is, is true, that They are on their own path. I've had some fantastic parents that I've done counseling with, just doing everything that I would have suggested. And their child is very, very difficult. And I think some kids come into the world kicking and screaming and they have a path to walk down and we do our best to show up with compassion and love and care. And we certainly raise our hand for help when we need it because sometimes it it's not just that we're not doing it, quote, right. It's that this child just needs some extra support and we may need some support as well. It's difficult today, isn't it, in the Insta world? You know, there's these perfect pictures of people, you know, and often at different times, beginning school, when they're all looking wonderful and dressed <laughs> up and we don't see what happened before they got to school. We don't see the antics of, where's my socks? But I think that's one of the challenges today that they do feel so judged if their child's not well-behaved and compliant and well-dressed and I think as a mother of four sons, I had to let go of that quite early. Yes, you're reminding me too about the internet and the way people, including me, find information now. We're part of the problem, all three of us. Exactly. (laughs) This this idea that there's a fix. Yes. There's a quick fix for all this behavior. If I just could say the right thing or do the right action, as if 
that is going to be the answer. And the quick fix is never the answer with children. Never. I could say that yeah. never because the quick fix will only maybe look like it's solving something in the moment, but it actually perpetuates the issue more often than not. I love that Stuart Shanker says, quiet does not mean calm. We can get a child to be quiet. <laughs> For the toddler, a- that's usually a son. <laughs> they're to something. But they might be still <clears throat> yes. hyper aroused yeah. inside yeah. and yeah. stirring up. And, and even on a practical mm-hmm. level, that's going to be harder for us later. So we've got to take in the whole picture. We've got to be curious. We've got to be open instead of those quick judgments on things, which is really a quick judgment on ourself that we have, yeah. as you said, Susan. So I want to hear more now that I think we're addressing this beginning part. Where do we go from there? What do we look at if we're sincerely puzzled about our child's behavior? Well, I'm going to jump in as not only a resilience educator, but also the passionate person about why our children need less stress in their lives. And I really would love you to look around your home and have conversations with whoever you are co-parenting with. What are the things that are adding stressors into our family home that we might be able to push back a little because we know the more stressed we are, then the less able we are able to hold that space. And sometimes we might identify that we have got far too many extracurricular activities at the moment because everyone else seems to be doing them. And that when we come home, we are really stressed and tired. And then we are expected to deliver a delicious meal with broccoli and and have a calm conversation around dinner. And then of course, it's bath time and then reading and a quiet bedtime ritual. Well, what the reality is it doesn't happen like that. And then, of course, you know, we go to bed feeling like a failed parent again. Every now and then I say, do you know what? There are times we need to own that that is too much for us right now with the ages of our children and with how we're working. And if you are a parent who can actually do a few less hours in the working place and actually get a a little more in front sometimes at home, then that can take pressure off you as well. And then I really want you to have a look at How often in our modern world am I looking at a screen, not at my children's faces, because we are kind of creating a digital abandonment. Again, that's our kids' hunger is connection. So that creates the stress. And then what you're doing is often disconnected because you're trying to do a million things to be the good parent. So every now and then have the conversation, what works for our family? Is there a different way we can do chores? Um, How else can we do mourning and have the children be the co solution finders rather than us always doing to our children can we do with our children Mm. to help that environment be something that's going to be more sustainable but also helping them to become negotiators and problem solvers yes and generally it's about just doing much less than we're doing because as you said we are coming from a depleted place if we think we have to jump through all these hoops every day to be the perfect parent or give our kids all the things we're supposed to give them in that day and then we're coming into these situations where now this behavior is there and my fuse is really short it's understanding that children do not need very much stimulation a little bit goes a long way. You know, it's like opening up a new appliance and everything works so well and snappy. Children are that. They're they're hearing, they're feeling, they're sensing things that are way out there that, that we've learned to tune out. So therefore, they need much less outside stimulation than we can imagine. You know, I, I always go internal. I, I see parenting in so many ways as a transformational path for us, a way for us to grow up, or even a spiritual path. I've written about that. And 
our children, when their behavior is really restless and agitated, it can so often be a gift to us, kind of having the mirror in front of you saying, uh, well, your, your live-in Zen master is suggesting that you re-examine your priorities or rearrange how you're allocating your time and your energy and resources. And we live in a time, all of us, myself included, I love my internet. You know, I don't do a lot of things that most people do because I have, I have my breaks on all the time, but I see the pull. I go to the park and I see the parent who's looking at their phone in one hand and sort of absentmindedly pushing their child in the swing in the other. And And I don't judge it because I see that we are dealing with a force that's so addictive and so powerful and so compelling. And we all, all of our brains just love that squirt of dopamine, you know. And so part of what I think a child's challenging behavior can do for us is remind us, oh, wait a minute, what would happen for the next, let's say, 45 minutes or 20 minutes if you went outside and sat with your child under a tree? And I know this may sound little old school, but I am a child from the 60s. And you just relaxed with your child and you just listened to the birds or you watched the butterfly and you didn't have your phone out there with you just in case your boss calls or grandma calls. And you you bring it all down a bit and you allow the child's behavior to remind you that once upon a time, there was a way of moving through the world that didn't move quite so fast, that was more in sync and aligned with the natural world And I'm certainly not saying that most children's challenging behaviors will go away from being in nature by (laughs) any stretch of the imagination. I'm in the business of guiding parents to deal with those challenges. However, I have also seen that when we simply stop and we give all of ourselves, even for five minutes, and especially if we can do it out in the green of nature and, you know, we breathe together for a few minutes and we reconnect, maybe we put our hand on on their back, or we smile, or we sing a song, or tell a joke. And I'm not just talking about five-year-olds here, I'm talking about 15-year-olds. You know, there is a coming back to ourselves that children invite us to do. And sometimes we go there kicking and screaming because we really want to check our email. (laughs) We really want to see how many likes we got on Instagram for whatever it was. And so we have to be present even for the discomfort and the impatience that might arise in us, just noticing it, allowing it, a kindly acceptance of, of whatever it is, a non-judgmental awareness, you know, because a lot of my work, I, I incorporate mindfulness practice, to be present with the discomfort of sitting through, waiting through the, this. And, and then sometimes with enough of those experiences, we can start to create that kind of openness with our kids where they could say, you know, it looks like life's been kind of rough a bit. I'd love to hear more about that if you feel like sharing it with me. Now, if your child says, no, everything's fine, which they very well may, you just allow that. Okay, well, I'm here if you want. Because initially they are often suspicious. Oh, you're going to keep poking, aren't you? (laughs) You're not going to be satisfied with everything's fine. There's got to be an agenda here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And when you are in that captain place where you actually are not needy, there's no neediness, there's no aroma or smell of, please, please, please tell me, I really want to know, I want to fix it. Where there's a relaxation inside of you, then that's where you see that they may gradually come to you with what, what their truth is and even discover it with your help. I love that. I just absolutely love that. But also, I just want to touch on the notion of, a, of micro-connections. I encourage parents to look at where are the little micro-connections that are quite tiny. You just said a smile. It's about what ways am I giving little doses 
of loving connection, even if I am a busy parent. You know, they're those rituals that we do every day. We start them early and, you know, they still want to kind of go back to them a bit later. And it's why I love bedtime rituals that are how much you love me. Obviously not every night of the week. Some nights we aren't in the right space, are we? <laughs> and saying, I love you to the moon and back now go to bed is not going to be the micro connection. Go get out of bed. Yeah, go get out of bed. It's the third I time you've ever the water. I the words. <laughs> um, it doesn't have to be every night, but what we're looking at is significantly connected moments when we are present. And don't beat yourself up that there aren't as many as you may have had in your childhood. It's about the little things that grow up to be a bigger thing. I want to just veer over to a more specific situation that I hear from parents about a lot, particularly as children are getting beyond the years that I focus on. Children having difficulties with peers, friendships, struggling, being left out of things, all those kinds of issues. How do you gently explore those places with your your child and, and help him in those kind of situations or her? Well, I think the first is to really, again except that the child you have is the child you have. And some children are predisposed to more quiet. We can say introverted, but they like their own company. So sometimes we have an agenda for how social our child should be that doesn't give them room to be who they're meant to be. So that may be our issues. Well, I wasn't popular in school, so you better be, right? We lay our kind of thing onto the child. And, you know, I have a thing that you probably know about called snapshot child syndrome, where there's a mismatch between who we thought we were getting and who we actually have, you know, that we're holding this photo up of our ideal child. This is the one who's going to love sports and who's going to have this kind of personality and who's going to love taking out the trash because she she knows how much it helps me and lightens my load. And, and then we're holding the picture up and then there's that child over there going, wait a minute, I just asked you to take out the trash and you completely ignored me four times. And we get hot and bothered by that. Well, it's not that the child didn't take out the trash, it's that we thought she should. We had the agenda and the story. And in the same way, sometimes a child's social issues, there are social issues then there are kids who are immature. They don't really know how to give and take. They they need some sort of practice. I do a lot of stuff with kids with role-playing and puppets and like letting them practice what it's like to initiate a conversation or to offer a compliment or to invite a, a, a puppet friend to play. Maggie, what about you? Same sort of thing in that if a child gets rejected in a play situation, we need to know that can happen as grown-ups and adults as well. This isn't just something magically that disappears once childhood's gone. And that it is one of the biggest things that hurts us is rejection because we're biologically wired to belong and be social beings. So having conversations at different times with our kids about, you know, that sometimes this can happen. And role play is another thing I recommend a lot. Let's just pretend that I'm going to say to her, I don't want you to play with me. So let's give you something you can say back and say, thanks, maybe another day. Cheers. (laughs) And we'll go off and find somebody else. And we might practice that strategy a few times, again, for the same reason. So again, it's having those conversations beforehand about what would you do if that happened? How does it feel? And and knowing, you know, again, that it's supposed to feel a bit yuck and that what we do after that and what we say to ourselves in our head after that, they are the things that can make it particularly problematic in early adolescence when that limbic brain and and we're biologically wired to want to connect even more. What you were saying also, Susan, about keeping our own anxiety in check. Sometimes children will come and just tell you something and maybe they're not hurt by it. Maybe they're not upset. They just found it interesting. Mm. 
And if we come into that with all this judgment on this terrible thing just happened and, you know, you should feel terrible. And then even the most innocent questions are not innocent when we say, <laughs> how did that make you feel? Yeah, exactly. um, <laughs> and what did you say? What did you what do? Did you do? What did you do about it? Yeah. So it's really how we can be brave as parents brave enough to allow our children to go through life in an yeah. age appropriate way and you know having reasonable expectations about that so even a 5 year old 6 year old child or older sometimes an adult they don't know will say oh hi how are you and what i love about young children is they're not that into small talk that's an adult thing that we do that's not very authentic really if we think about it <laughs> They're much more authentic than that. And oftentimes they can't even know what to tell you because so many things are going through their minds or their feelings. Or other times they're just feeling how anxious their parent is now because the spotlight is on them and this child is going to make me look good or, or not, which is, again, so understandable, especially if we've been shamed for being shy or whatever. And then now there's absolutely no oxygen left for that child to even come close to responding. And so mm. understanding how powerful we are and how powerful our feelings are and how they're going to seep into every situation and being able to be that person that children can bounce things off of, even the most shocking things. We can be an open explorer with our child. I love it. And I out. think also, can we dive then into the, the big one that parents is, is what's happening with our siblings. Again, it is a little bit like the snapshot. I just thought we'd all play and get on really well. Yeah. <laughs> well, of course they do sometimes. You know, again, did we have a magical picture? And I remember working with a lot of mums early on going, I wanted a happy family. <laughs> And I said, well, this is called a healthy family and conflict is a part exactly. of human relationships. So can you reframe that to see that and sometimes see if they can work that out themselves? Yeah. And I remember when I could hear the voices and we know that sometimes our kids can play together and one loses energy more than the other or the other gets too much and then we have a difference and you'll hear the voices get a bit and you, that's when we tune in and go, great, I'll take a plate full of fruit up or um, I would just open the door and say everybody out. And they'll go, why, why? Because I'm you know, five minutes outside and then we can come back. I don't blame anyone. I don't want to become that judge and executioner because that was my childhood experience. And I'll go and make a cup of tea and eat a yummy bicky and soothe myself and fill myself with serotonin. I come back and, to let them in. Okay, guys, come back in. And guess what? They've got a whole new game going on outside. So as that big swagger that says this could be going to end badly, I'm going to just kind of maybe give them an option to relocate or shift the energy a little yeah. and then they they just weren't used to me coming up and growling and yelling at them then they had an altercation it wouldn't end that way because I wasn't stepping in trying to sort it out I was actually trusting innately that you know most times they were sorted out without blood mm -hmm. <laughs> and you were the safe presence you and were, I, yeah you know, you yeah think you were not the judgy uncomfortable adding my own stress to your I might also conflict. run up and um be ridiculous sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, turn into a growly bear or a dinosaur or run up and fart or something. <laughs> I felt we could shift those emotional dynamics. I think we often feel we get too serious as a parent yeah. 
And sometimes I go, just just let lighten up. It's just there's too much tension here right now. Yeah. Nervous systems are overloaded. Let's go have some fun and lighten yeah. it up. Yeah. Yes. I think that's wonderful, especially if it comes from a place of trust. I think if that comes from parents thinking, mm. oh my gosh, now it's my job to be funny yep. and do something. No. It doesn't that's no. where I no. kind of depart from no. playful ideas of parenting yeah. when yeah. it's forced. Yeah. I gotta make myself into an animal. And there's no. people that yeah. just I'm silly, but there's people that aren't silly. And yeah. that's Okay, yeah, you know, exactly. it's not necessary. Yeah. I think that the underlying thing is to come across as not needy or desperate for yeah. things to be different than they are, even while you may be wanting to move them in a, a direction yeah. that's better for everyone, that there's a relaxation around that, there's a trust around that. And listen, it's work. It's beautiful work. It's transformational work. Nobody tells you. <laughs> I just saw some friends of ours who had a baby. And they're in their later 30s, and, you know, they'd waited quite a while, and they had the baby, and, you know, I said, how you doing? They said, well, yeah. <laughs> Some of the time, it's really great. I said, nobody told you, did they? And I said, and even if they had, and they were laughing, even if they had, you wouldn't have known, because it's impossible. I think raising a child is impossible, but you do it anyway, like a lot of other things. And sometimes people do it again. <laughs> well, you apparently did it four times. <laughs> and it's interesting that, you know... We are having less children and that's, you know, there's all sorts of reasons why that is. But isn't it interesting the dynamics of when we had possibly more children and also neighbourhood children played together, mm. we had less problems yeah. socially and emotionally in our schools. We had less anxiety. So it's kind of like maybe we're going against the natural kind of way that we're meant to be in, in those tribal situations where we all share our children and care about our children. Absolutely. It's probably a bit too philosophical right now. No, nothing's too philosophical with you two here. I want to take advantage of all your uh, wonderful ideas. Anyway, thank you, ladies, so much. This is a real treat that I hope we can replicate someday. Both of these women have some incredible resources that I will be definitely listing in the podcast transcripts and linking to for you all to take advantage of. These are people that I depend upon and agree with and you're in very good hands with either of these very very generous ladies so so thank you again we love you we love your work what a joy to all three of us just really special both of my books are available on audio elevating child care and no bad kids toddler discipline without shame you can find them through my website or on audible.com and you can also get them in paperback at Amazon and an ebook at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and Apple.com. Also, my exclusive audio series, Sessions. These are six individual recordings of consultations with parents discussing their specific parenting issues. And these are available by going to sessionsaudio.com. That's sessions, plural, audio.com. You can read a description of each episode and order them individually or get them all about three hours of audio for just under $20. Sessionsaudio.com. Thanks for listening. We can do this.